Jennifer Dawn. And I'm Adrienne Garland. Welcome to the Unbreakable Podcast. Our lives and our businesses are chock full of so many challenges. And sometimes through outside circumstances, the changing world, and even our mindsets, we find ourselves on the brink of burnout, listlessness, or even failure. But what if there is a way to build your resilience and literally become unbreakable? Come along with us on our journey of discovery to gain insight, pick up tips, and get inspired as we go deep with our guests to uncover how the divine combination of physical challenge and mental strength come together to help them on their journey to becoming unbreakable. All right, yay, and here we go. I'm so super excited, you guys. On our podcast today, we are welcoming our guest, Sharia Reed, and I, being the excellent host, don't have her bio. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to dive in, and I'm going to start it off with letting her just introduce yourself. Just give us a high level of who you are and your amazing self, and so everybody knows who we're talking to today. Awesome. Hey, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I, I always love to introduce myself with the things that I love. Um, and I love my family. So I'm a mom, a mom of a nine-year-old. He's so cool. His name's Miles. I'm a wife, 13 years. Um, Malcolm Reed's my husband. Love him, adore him. Um, and I have a whole host of family and loved ones that I could go on about. Um, so wife, mom, um, also, I'm a corporate leader, so I've been in corporate America for a few decades, managing technical partnerships. Uh, my formal background, computer scientist and public health analyst, um, had some fun in corporate America, and I'm kind of at a, a, a crossroads in my career. Um, I, I launched, I became a corpreneur in 2017, uh, where I launched Butler, Owens & Reed. We're a financial capital company. Um, really, I like to say we're a, a, a legal uh, lender <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, just helping small business owners become financially equipped from a liter literacy perspective and helping them to use other people's money um, to leverage that um, to go far in their business um, and to look at some of their strategic goals and align that to uh, how we can help them financially. So that's kind of me in a quick nutshell. <laughs> oh, I love this so much. And I love that you introduced yourself by starting with that you're a mom, right? So often in this busy business world that uh, so many of us are mothers, but it kind of gets put off a little bit. And I love that you, you start that with I'm a mom. I'm a mom too. These kids, man, they are the best learning experience, the best life experience. Like they teach me something new every day. And it's just such an amazing and it's an amazing gift for those of us who have been lucky enough fortunate enough to get to go on that journey you know it really is and it's one that i don't take for granted um that was not never supposed it was never supposed to be a gift that that i i bore uh or or brought to, to life and, and so i don't take that for granted uh my son and I know I'm biased here, but my son is the absolute best. Um, he has all of the best qualities of me and my husband combined. Um, he's kind, he's nurturing, he's loving, and he checks me. <laughs> so yeah. when I'm not um, operating at my best, he's really in my face telling me, mommy, you can do better. So I can appreciate that. Oh, don't you love that? Like the best lessons. You're you're a money woman. And so you'll appreciate this one. My 10-year-old daughter who is now... 
got 23. So when she was 10 years old, we were living in Florida. I had a corporate job. It was a very, very dark time in my life. And so I was, even though I had a, you know, fancy whatever corporate job, we were living check to check. I was very stressed out about money. I was trying to support at the time I was a single mom with three children, supporting them, paying another mortgage from a house that we had had previously. And just, you know, I had actually had a failed business. And so I was also paying off the debt from that failed business. So it was just like a lot of things going on. It was a very hard time in my life. And I remember one day I was in the kitchen and I was kind of stressed out about money. And I had probably made some comments and I tried not to bring my kids into any of this stuff. But I I remember I must have said something. I don't even remember what it was I said. And my 10-year-old daughter, she looks at me and she's like, mom, it's just money. You'll make more. And I'm like, dang, mama got schooled by her 10-year-old because she was right. And I have carried that with me every day. If I ever even think about getting stressed about money, she's just like, mom, it's just money. You'll make more. And I'm like, she's right. I've made a whole lot more. (laughs) And we've come through that time. And um, it's just amazing that the lessons that they will will teach you. She, She gets the award for teaching me my, that was my, probably my best money lesson ever. That's awesome. And, and I'm sure she learned that from you somehow, some way, you know, because just quickly, I, I grew up in very humble beginnings. And so I tended to have this poverty mentality that things were so scarce and that money was very hard to come by. And my son has the same mentality as your daughter. Like, mommy, you're very smart. You can do anything. I believe in you. I've seen you go and make a lot of money. And uh, I mean, with disclaimer, a lot of money to him at that time was probably 20 bucks. But it's like, I've seen you go (laughs) make a lot of money, mommy. We can do it, mommy. And so just to know that, that fearlessness, um, he doesn't have that poverty mentality, that scarcity mentality that I used to have. When I look at him and I hear those things, I'm just like, thank you, God. <laughs> thank you. I'm so blessed. I'm so lucky. So yeah, you did that. Great yes. job raising her. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And what I would love to talk a little bit further about, so obviously our, our podcast is called Unbreakable and we are sharing stories, women's stories of things that they have gone through that have really and truly helped them to become unbreakable. And so I would love to hear based on that topic, like, is there a particular story or a time in your life where you faced a challenge that once you faced it, you overcame it and it helped you to become unbreakable. Yes, I think um, personal and corporate wise, um, but I think it, mm-hmm. it ties together. If I kind of start on the personal journey, um, I mentioned I didn't come from uh, Silver Spoon, um, definitely humble beginnings. I was poor and I had I was, I was raised by my grandmother and my mom and dad were both on drugs and that was not pretty to watch, you know? And I think as I went into my teenage and early 20 type years, my grandmother always said, go to school, get a good education. No one can ever take your education from you. Get a good corporate job, retire at 65, save all your money. I mean, what else could she tell me? She had very humble beginnings herself. But I took that advice. I went to school, got my education. But somewhere along the, the path, I said, okay, I got this education, but something's happening. And what I recognized was that 
a lot of the trauma from my childhood was holding me down. And when I looked around in corporate America, I didn't feel successful. Although a couple of paychecks here and there told me that I was. I was a 23-year-old homeowner. I drove a Porsche at 24. I, by all means, uh, from the outside looking in, I should have been happy, um, but I wasn't. I was missing my mother. I was missing my father. Um, The family unit I had was not a true family unit. It was so toxic. And I held on to that for so long. And I didn't realize how it carried into meeting after meeting um, internally, externally with clients. I didn't come with my head held high. I didn't feel like I could ask for what I was worth. I, I, I questioned myself so much and I never tied it to my childhood. So there was a part of me that kept reflecting, reflecting back to those old memories that didn't serve me well. And then there came this point in my career where I got pregnant. I got married. I got pregnant. I was on this whirlwind. I was really happy. But then my, my job at that time said to me, okay, we realize you're going out on leave. And again, I, I was putting together these very profitable technical partnerships and putting together go-to-market strategies where we co-sold together. And we have very large Fortune 500 companies. And I have been working this deal for three years, this $22 million deal. My VP comes to me and says, okay, you're going out on maternity leave and yada, yada, yada. You may be gone for a maximum of 12 weeks. So we're going to have to split everything that comes in during that time. Split as in everything I've worked on for the past three years, this $22 million deal, the payout, I have to split. So it was like I was being punished for becoming or bearing child and starting my family. And I lost it. Um, I'm usually, I can be poised sometimes, but when it comes to things that I think are just cut and dry, basic common sense, I, I, I lost it. I put in a two week notice. I came home. I told my husband, I said, we didn't talk about this, but screw them. I'm sick of this. Um, (laughs) I went back and rescinded that notice because you did, you went back and rescinded it. Worst decision ever. Worst. Really? Um, I'm all about five second decisions now, but then I came home and I cried. I worked on that deal. I flew to Bentonville, Arkansas when I was 32, 33, 34, 35, and 36 weeks pregnant to close this deal. I was hurt. And so everyone talking to me from the outside, oh, this is an emotional response. Go back and talk to HR. You can work it out. I took half of that payout and I continued to stay with that company for about two and a half, three more years. And it was hell on earth. To this day, I still don't know why I stayed, but I tie it back to not being enough. My mother didn't want mm. me. My, my dad didn't want me. Um, my grandmother wanted me, but she was raising everyone else because her kids were not doing what they were supposed to do. And so when I finally woke up and said, your past is holding you back. Your past isn't allowing you to be great. You're you're second guessing decisions, good decisions. You're you're making bad decisions on top of good decisions. You're harming your family with being stuck in this negative whirlwind of things you can't change. So 
girl, what are you going to do? And I had a, I call it my come to Jesus talk. I had a come to Jesus talk with myself. And I said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not reflecting on thoughts and, and the past and traumatic experiences that do not serve me well. And again, I could go on and on. I could make this a tearjerker. I could tell you about my uncle and how he touched me inappropriately for years. And again, I sat in all of that for years. So I went to therapy, put my big girl panties on. My therapist said, we're going to work through some of this. We did empty chair exercises. We wrote letters. We had bonfires on the beach. We burnt those letters. I went to my mom, had conversations that she didn't process. um, And I went to my job. And I said, screw you for the last time. <laughs> um, <laughs> not in those words. I don't, I don't believe in, in jeopardizing relationships. I try to salvage them as much as possible. But in my head, I said, I will never, ever turn back, ever. Um, so I think a combination of letting go of those thoughts and feelings and, and remaining in quicksand and having my son and valuing that experience more than the career at that time told me I should, making the decision to do those two things was probably the most powerful thing that happened in my life. And there was one other thing that was happening in the midst of all of that. Um, My brother, my younger brother, we're a year apart, we're kind of Irish twins, if you will. We are very close. Um, He was shot in the head. And he suffers from a traumatic brain injury and he's forever disabled. And I, when I left that job, I said, I'm going to medical school. I'm going to do what I I set out to do when I was a little girl. I wanted to be a pediatric cardiologist. I wanted to save the hearts of young kids so that they could love and be free and be happy. And I got accepted into medical school, got the call that my brother was shot, put my entire life on hold and proceeded to integrate into my family and become a wife and a mom full time. And I proceeded to become the guardian of my brother. And to this day, that was 2006 that he suffered his injury. To this day, my brother is the happiest person I've ever met in my life. I said, if he can smile every day, if he can find a reason to be happy, if he can get out there with me and run his 5k, Sharia, you need to get over it. <laughs> and I got over it. <laughs> I got over yes. it. Yes. Um, wasn't able to change those things still. Uh, my mom is where she is. My dad's where he is. Uh, but my brother, my God, <sighs> even when I think of him, it's like a breath of fresh air. I, I, I found so much happiness in becoming his guardian and such a blessing. So I've, I've had to overcome many obstacles and I could go on and on and on. But those by far have been the largest. Yeah, that, that is so inspiring. And it never ceases to amaze me how you can meet a strong, powerful woman and you can be like, wow, you know, she's really amazing. But then when you start hearing the stories and what you've been through, like sometimes you think because somebody has a smile on their face that, oh, nothing bad ever happened to them. And I actually find that sometimes the people with the biggest smiles on their face have had the most traumatic stories and had to have had to overcome the most. And they have a smile on their face because they choose to have a smile on their face because they've, they've known that other side. Yes. And I love what you said about 
you realize that your past was really affecting your present, but also your future. And your past was really holding you back from what you could be out in the world doing and living and achieving. I experienced something very, very similar with that because I did not have a great childhood myself. And we, of course, we didn't have money, which we didn't really notice, didn't really notice that I didn't feel like a poor kid. Looking back, I mean, I do remember times in school where you had to like give your number to the lady in the lunch line because you were on the free meals. And I remember being very embarrassed by that. And I think that was around sixth, seventh grade, where I started to become more aware of that and kids would make fun of you. And there were a lot of days that I would just skip lunch because I didn't want to go through the line. And I remember being so embarrassed and not wanting to give that number. But for me, my father was sexually abusive. To carry that with you, you had that with your uncle, to carry that with you, it's such a heavy thing. And it took me years to figure this out because I naturally am a giver and I want to help. And so what happened was as a small child, my father would say, you know, your mother doesn't, you know, do this for me or whatever. I need you to do it for me. And this inappropriate thing. And you're like a kid, you don't know any better, but you just have love in your heart. That's it. And this is your father and you love him and you want to please him and you want to do good things. And so what happened was I learned that if I wanted to like love somebody, I had to sacrifice. I had to do something that I didn't want to do. And that it took me so many years and lots of therapy as well. There was a lot of bonfires and (laughs) writing things on balloons and letting them go and lots of letters, you know, all of this stuff done it all to help heal from this. But it it took me actually getting into a good place to look at this and, and realize, holy smokes, I learned this from a very young age that to fulfill my desire to serve and help others, I have to somehow sacrifice and like what you said, where it carried over into your business and your, your career, same thing for me. And in looking back, I'm like, how many clients did I discount or do stuff for free? Because I literally was programmed that in order to help them, I have to suffer. I have to take one for the team. I have to be the one, the bigger one. And it's like, but that really hurt my profitability. There was a lot of times where it's like, I'm living, you know, check to check. I can't do this. And That pattern followed me from early childhood all the way through my life. And even in relationships, it was like, I'll be the one to not go where I want to go or eat what I want to eat or always be saying, no, 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 you go first, you know, because it was something from childhood that I literally just like picked up and learned as almost like a coping mechanism. So thank goodness I've, I recognize that now and have kind of broken that chain, kind of like what you did too, where one day you just said, I'm not going to do this anymore. (laughs) I'm not going to do this anymore. And you could just let go. I love that you were able to just let go of some of this old stuff that you carried with you for your life. And when you made that decision to let go, I'm just curious, like, did it just happen instantaneously? Did you have to like battle with it for a while? What did that look like? Absolutely not instantaneous. (laughs) I, although I wish it was, um, because sometimes I make up my mind and it happens like that, but I have, I like to pretend I don't have a bleeding heart, but I do. Um, And for years I dealt with it. For instance, I dealt with my mom by telling everyone in high school and middle school that I didn't have a mom, that she was dead. 
It was easier for me to deal with it that way. I went to an all-girl high school where I saw moms and daughters have parent-daughter tees and dress alike. And no, my mom's dead. And it was surprising to a lot of people when they found out she wasn't, you know? Um, I didn't know how to deal with it and process it. So I first had to learn how to process my reality because I ran from it for so long and I, I told lies to myself about it. And then once I processed my reality, I then had to be okay with having feelings about it. I never allowed myself to feel. I became cold, um, loving and giving, but cold, um, very matter of fact, very right to the point. And sometimes I can still be that way, but I had to learn to allow myself to feel and know that it was okay if it wasn't reciprocated. And so once I accepted my reality, allowed myself to feel, I then had to be okay with expressing those feelings again and not getting those same feelings in return, but not feeling bad about that. And so that was a long journey for me because I, the, the, the toughest part was allowing myself to feel. Feelings bring so much for me, especially as it related to my mother. When my grandmother passed away, same year my brother was shot, I I kept telling myself some harsh things. I wish it were my mom. This would be easier. I I can't deal with this. I've lost the only thing that meant anything in the world to me. Um, This is before I had a son and things like that. And so those realities, I didn't want to feel them. And so in allowing myself to feel that for my mom, I had to also process that my grandmother wasn't there anymore because that's who I considered my mom, you know, Mm -hmm. and in that it also made me I had to learn how to be able to care without taking on other people's problems. And so caring for my mom for me looks like I bought her a house um, and I bought her a house knowing full well that she was going to destroy it. Um, But I at least I said to myself, at least when she's found dead. God forbid, I'll be able to locate her. She won't be a Jane Doe. I'll be able to bury her with some pride. So I bought her a house and I go and I take her clothes and I take her food. I just have one rule. Hey, I don't give her money because you won't overdose on my dime. But I want to make sure you're safe, have clothes, you're warm, things like that. So in my mind, I'm telling myself, this is how I properly deal with this. And so at first I came up with my own way, learned some strategies in therapy, quit therapy because it started to feel too much, feel too much. Mm. I started to feel like I was being sensitive. So I I backed off and I went back to therapy, backed off, went back to therapy. So no, it was not a linear process. Um, It was very, very hard to accept my reality. Um, And it was also very hard to accept the fact that a lot of my innermost feelings and lack um, probably stemmed around my lack of that maternal relationship, um, mm-hmm. which probably stemmed to my ability to make friends with women and my trust issues with women and things like that. So it was so much to uncover that every yeah. time I went to pull a little bit of an onion back, I said, oh no, this is too much. <laughs> this is too much. <laughs> um, yeah. But I finally got to a point where it's like, you know, Sharia, you can't eat the elephant in one bite. So pick which part you want to attack first. I said, okay, you like the trunk? Let's go for the trunk. Um, And that was really, let's fix you so that you don't hurt your son. 
Let's fix you so that he doesn't grow up to feel like he has maternal issues because of you. So I selfishly said, I'm going to fix me first and then everybody else can come along for the ride if I have room. So I'm so, so thankful for one, my therapist, um, two, my husband. My husband saw something great in me long before I did. And number three, my son um, and my brother. Those, Those without their constant noise in my ear, <laughs> as I used to call it, <laughs> I don't think I would have stuck to the therapist's journey. I don't think I would have gotten as much out of it as I possibly could have. And that therapist journey included three different therapists. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And and on these kinds of journeys, I mean, it's often not just one healer that comes into our lives. I I can't even name how many <laughs> different. I, I did have one primary therapist who was a trauma therapist, and her and I worked together for four years. Um, so I love that you're saying no. This was not just like some aha moment and. Woohoo, I'm cured now. It really took some time and effort and in and out of therapy. You just but you continue to work on it, work on it, work on it. Absolutely. And and I was the type by my default was adding chaos to confusion. So the way yeah. I dealt with things was to make it more chaotic. That's how I yeah. I operated. Um if that something was calm and smooth sailing, it was not good for me. It was too quiet. Right. Um, I needed noise. I needed drama. I needed chaos. I needed to make things yeah. exciting. So I had to unlearn so much. <laughs> you and I, we have so many things in common, really, because even it's it's interesting, the abuse that happened with my father, he was the one who was doing the bad things. But yet my mother knew about it. And she was the one who didn't stop it. And in many ways, I feel like I almost hold her more accountable as the mother when you know something's happening to your child and then you make the choice not to do anything about it. And I've never had a really a good close relationship with my mother. It was my grandmother and my grandfather who really, if I have to say, where did I learn how to be a good human being? It came from them. They were really those parental roles for me. Certainly not my my parents. And like you, I didn't really foster a lot of relationships with women. Now, when when I was young, my parents, they moved all the time. They were not in the military. They were just messed up. And so we were just moving all the time. And by seventh grade, I'd been in 13 different schools. And I remember I was just like, not going to make friends anymore, because it was pointless. I knew we were going to move and we were going to be, you know, gone again from whenever, you know, wherever we were going to be. But I just never really made those female friendships. I I did in high school. I had a best friend and it was interesting. We didn't like each other and then we got to know each other and we became very, very best friends and we were friends in high school. And then sadly, she was killed in a car accident when I was about 16 and I had lost her. And so because I had not been in one place for most of my life and then I was in one place and then I had opened myself up and and let this person in that I didn't even like. And she ended up becoming just one of my very, very best friends. And then I lost her. I, I know I just shut down. <laughs> I was just like, I, I'm, I never really had good, close female connections. And I know that that comes from the relationship with my mother. I, I'm the one who, maybe you do this too, Shreya, 
you watch the movie and it has a great strong mom character. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like that's the kind of mom I would have loved to have had, or that's the kind of mom I want to be. And even in raising my children, I have three, two, two daughters and a son who are of course perfect. And yes, of course, I'm totally biased. But with those relationships with my children, we have very close, strong relationships. And that was one of the things I'm like, I got to break this chain, this this chain of wherever it came from, I, I've got to break it. And you did. I have to make sure. And you yes, did. <laughs> I did. With my kiddos, we, we, we are great. We love each other. We support each other. We're very, very close. And I think sometimes when these really crappy things happen to you growing up and you don't have the relationship that you deserve from a parent, that... The only way I think sometimes to really cope with that is to turn it around, break the chain, and then put, you know, have that relationship, put a child out into the world that was loved, that did get the parent that they they absolutely deserved. Yeah. And you know what? I'm so proud of both of us uh, for not being victims of our circumstances. We could be sitting yeah. here moping in it, still sitting in it, still wallowing in it, but we're not. Um, so Mm-mm. kudos to us. High five. Um, and <laughs> and on, on, you know, the, the second part of that, when I look at my son and my son isn't keenly aware of the, the drug addiction that my mother faces. But when we drive to Baltimore, my son knows she lives somewhere in Baltimore. And he's like, Mommy, we cannot come to Baltimore without finding Grandma Gina. And he doesn't care what she looks like, what she smells like, what she has, what she doesn't have. He wants to know she's safe. And I say, you know what, Sharia, you did that. He cares from a genuine, deep place. And you've allowed that. And so I'm proud of that because I know what it feels like to have a hard heart. I know what it feels Mm -hmm. like not to be vulnerable. I know what it feels like to have trust issues with everyone around you. You just sit around and you wait for hurt or pain or, or discomfort to come. And he is so not like that. And I'm so, so proud of that. Um, if 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 I've done anything right, um, not the money, not the cars, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I got all that stuff and figured none of it made me happy anyway. <laughs> um, it's nice to have though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if I did anything right in this life. Um, it was my son. It was becoming my my brother's guardian and being Miles' yeah. mom. He's he's yeah. awesome. So yeah. And you know, I love what you said about we're not sitting here being victims. And anybody who is listening to this podcast, and maybe you've gone through some traumatic things, or you're going through something traumatic. I really do believe that for me, when I was 13, I remember I saw a news story on the news about a girl who had been sexually abused, and something terrible had happened to her. She was on the news. I don't even remember. I just remember it was really, really bad. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like, that kind of happened to me too, but I made a commitment to myself. I was like, but I'm not going to end up like this girl on the news. And whatever happened to me is not going to determine the life that I'm going to have. I'm still going to go out in this world and I'm going to do good things. And I'm not going to let this destroy me the way that it had destroyed her, sadly. And I do believe it's a choice not to be a victim. That's the first part of making that choice. But then after that, being willing to open yourself up to feel, right? It's 
Sometimes it's easier to just push those feelings down. Or what do we do? We distract ourselves. We're eating, we're shopping, we're drinking, we're drugging, we're doing whatever it is that we're doing to cope with these feelings because we don't want to feel the pain. And when you decide that you're not going to be a victim, part of that decision is deciding to work on yourself, being willing to feel the things you need to feel. And like you said, you know, in therapy, out of therapy, in, out, you know what, you just, you keep at it. And even if you stop, you go back and you keep at it and just being willing, right? We're talking about being unbreakable (laughs) of just, and unbreakable often isn't pretty, um, but it does happen with that diligence and with that determination and with that decision that we make that I'm not going to be a victim and I'm going to do the work on myself to not be a victim. Absolutely. And and thought process, your mindset, to your point, is one of the most important things that you have. For me, I I, I always... I'm happy that I am now in a place where I can sit back and look at despite everything, I was so blessed. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. have a mom. And even after my grandmother passed away, I had so many moms come into my life. When I ran away after uh, the, the molestation with my uncle and, and I finally got to a point where I said, OK, no one's listening. I'm just going to run left my grandmother's house. I had moms. I had my friend Latanya's mom. I had my friend Rhiannon's mom. I had my friend Brandy's mom. I had my friend uh, Miss Andrea. They all let me stay in some way, shape or form. Even if it was, they noticed I was sitting on the couch a little too long and it got a little too late. They noticed that happening day after day. I had friends' moms taking me to take my driver's test. I had friends' moms who didn't ask a lot of questions. They just knew I needed a mom. I have friends' moms who helped me apply for college because I knew nothing. I didn't know what I was doing. Financial aid, applications, I didn't know. So somehow, some way, I was able to manifest things that I needed even before I was able to articulate it. So now... I'm at a point where my mindset can look at those things and say, girl, you were, you were blessed. You were really, really mm-hmm. blessed. Couldn't see it then. Could not see it right. then. But at that right. mindset can carry you so far. It really, really can. Because I could be sitting here saying, oh, look at my life. It's not perfect. Um, or I can sit here and say, wow, I don't have a lot of friends, but those I do have have loved me for a very long time. And for that, I'm so, so grateful. Oh, I love that so much. And I've often said the same thing, like my mother was the best teacher of what not to do. (laughs) Like if I ever have to wonder, should I do this with my kids? Like, hmm, if mom did it, it's probably not the best (laughs) idea. (laughs) But you have to, you have to shift that mindset um, and, and pull those lessons out, pull that good stuff out. Because when you do get to a place where you can be grateful for any experience that you've experienced, in my opinion, like that really is true freedom. That is true happiness, true bliss. When you can be in that state of gratitude for things that were unpleasant and uncomfortable and really, really painful to endure. Yes. Yes. When I think about my mom now, I just think about, wow, What must she have gone through as a child to want to turn the rest of her life over to drug use? Um, And it just progressively get worse. What did she go through? So I got to a point where I just wanted to know what her story was. 
Um, and it, it allowed me to have more compassion for her. When she calls me, I don't care how many times and say, I want to get clean. I show up for her every time with the blinged out bag. Everything's better with blings. So I get a bag and it's blinged out and <laughs> has pajamas and panties and everything she could possibly need. And the last time it happened, she left the next day, next morning. And I probably cried like a baby because I was hopeful and I got my hopes up and I wanted her to get clean. Um, yeah. But I'll show up again. And I'll have friends that say, no, you shouldn't do that. No, that's crazy. You keep hurting yourself, blah, blah, blah. Nope, I'll do it again. Now, again, yeah. very different from where I was maybe 10 years ago, maybe even 10 minutes ago. But we're going to celebrate the small victories. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you're saying this because for those of you who are listening, you might be based on wherever you are, you might be thinking, well, you know, Jennifer and Sharia, you know, they've over the years developed these, you know, powerful mindsets. And it's true. It, it's taken years and years of work and uh, diligence and being willing to open yourself up. You do, you end up kind of developing a mindset. Like when I hear you say, mom will probably call again, I'll get my hopes up again, but I will show up for her again. Like that is all mindset. That is an unbreakable mindset right there. And that truly is part of the reason why we have, so the Unbreakable podcast comes from our Unbreakable retreat that we are putting on where we're combining business coaching with a Spartan race. And part of why we're doing this, right? Part of, And you're so cute because when I mentioned that we were doing this and you just got all giggly and all happy <laughs> and you're just like, oh my God, like I want to be part of this. Most people do not have that reaction, okay? <laughs> Most people are like, oh my gosh, um, this scares me a little bit and <laughs> I don't know that I want to do this, but you were just like, yeah, that sounds so amazing. Yes. But this is part of why we're combining it because one of the things I found, so last year I had committed to do three Spartan races. I ended up doing 12. And if you're not familiar with Spartan race, obstacle course racing. So, and I don't really race. I'm just like out there and you're going a distance. You're going over terrain. There are going to be obstacles. You're going to probably get wet. You're going to get muddy. You're going to be dirty. But the thing that I love most about it is the mindset when you start one of these courses, you're going to be afraid and you've got to push through and you've got to overcome that. You're going to be uncertain. You're not going to have confidence, especially if you've not done them before. And even though I've done quite a few, I still am just like, what obstacle are they going to throw at us? You know, what are they going to have me doing that I'm not sure about? And I was, I'm, I'm fresh off of two Spartan races this weekend in Atlanta, Georgia. And yeah, at the start line, yeah, I know, at the start line on day one, I seriously was at the start line. My mindset was like, I don't want to do it. It's going to be hard. I, I could back out. I, I should just stop. Like the mind is just creating all this nonsense. And I was almost in tears thinking about like how hard it was going to be. And I'm just like, shut up, just shut up, just shut up. <laughs> you know, you start, you go. And you just put one foot in front of the other. And it was about mile three. Um, <laughs> on Saturday, we did the 10K. And so usually Spartans can't count. So what's supposed to be six miles was really seven and a half, almost eight miles. But around mile three, I started to get that mojo back. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I love being out here. And here's the thing. The course wasn't getting any easier. The course was getting harder 
They had had all these rains. They ran us through probably a quarter mile of swamp where you're just like, you know, waist high in this water. You'll step in a hole. You trip over roots. You're just, it's so, it's muddy. You can't see the bottom. It's hard. It's it's really hard <laughs> to be like, okay, I'm here. And then you're going through mud. They had this huge mountain face with a web and you had to like literally climb up the web and the mud and you're just dirty. So the course is getting harder. My mojo, my confidence is getting stronger. And just that miracle, whatever it is that happens that when you go through something hard, if at the start line I had said, all right, Jen, you can just forget it. You know, you don't have to do it. I would have felt horrible (laughs) that I didn't at least get out there and try But when you go through these hard things, it strengthens your mindset. And so if you're listening to this and you're just like, but how do I, you know, what can I do to strengthen my mindset? Well, here's something that you can actually do in the period of, you know, a few short hours, you can take on a challenge and you can overcome it. And what happened was that mindset I took into my business and my business revenues last year, two and a half times. And I wasn't really trying to grow my business, but it was just like, what happened? Because that unbreakable mindset, it's like, I can do all of this. I brought it into the business. And then things in the business, which had been hard, didn't really seem that hard anymore. It was just like, girl, if I can like, I did the Florida piece. If I can go through, they ran us through two miles of swamp in Florida. If I can go through two miles of swamp in New Jersey, um, it was 17 miles on the mountain. If I can do 17 miles on the mountain, that was a beast. It was a really long race. But it's just like, if I can do that, I can do anything. Yes. I can do anything. And here's the thing. When we're out there, I am slow. I am fat. <laughs> I, am, I can't do half the obstacles. I am not the super athlete that you see like on the YouTube videos. I'm just a normal person, but just getting out there and I start and I finish and I do the best that I can do. And there are obstacles that I can't do. But even knowing there's so many other people out there that are better than you, you still walk off being like, I'm a badass. Yes. <laughs> just like, and you I are. can do anything. <laughs> I told you, I went to YouTube and I looked up the Spartan race and I was like, um, what did I commit to here? <laughs> um, and, and I'm an adrenaline junkie. I mean, I've been whitewater rafting in four, five category rafts and fell in the water and had to swim. Um, so, but that type of stuff is thrilling to me. Crazy thrilling though. And so I'm like, yes, I'm going to do this Spartan race. But I think the most important part outside of, of you and your team, Jennifer, that mindset thing we talked about, that that small thing becomes even bigger and greater. And, and it doesn't seem like something that's so far off when you're surrounded by other people who have the similar type of mindset. And so for your retreat, you're going to be around women who think positive, You know, it's so easy to sit around a bunch of people who just complain that it's raining or that person or group of people you're sitting around can say, you know what, the the flowers will finally get some water or, you know, we can finally deal with these forest fires in California. We needed this. rain, Mm -hmm. So that mindset can be helped when you're surrounded by the right group of people. So not only will we be able to conquer that Spartan race, right, we'll be able to (laughs) be surrounded by other women who me. Never done a Spartan race in my life, but I'm up for any challenge. 
but I got a team of women behind me who are saying, Sharia, come on, girl, come on, yeah. you can do it. And not only that, they will stop and come back and grab your hand too. Where do you see That's that right. done? You know, um, I haven't seen that at any other retreat before. So, and I, I have to admit that I'm a little, um, uh, uh, ADHD ish. Um, I hate labels, mm-hmm. but my mind can jump and skip a beat and I can't sit still. So I'm not the type to go on a retreat and let's just lay out on the beach and, and smile and soak up the sun. That's great. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I, I won't need that type of retreat one day, but I need the hiking. I need the rafting. I need the kayaking. I need to look out of my window and see the mountains and see acres and acres of just God's beauty and nature so I can look and be thankful. I need that. So your retreat spoke to me in a variety of different (laughs) ways, but most importantly, to know that I will be surrounded in a safe space by women who are really invested in helping me be better. Like, where do you find that at? You know? It, It is so hard to find it. And you and I, we share this experience of not having that bond with our mothers growing up, we had it more with our grandmothers. And so what I've now found, I have so many female relationships in my life that I didn't have growing up. And when you cultivate a healthy, healthy female relationship, not this drama and backstabbing and I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about like real girl code. <laughs> like we are here to take care of each other, to love on each other, to support each other. And there are going to be times I remember my, it was my sister actually, who was with me on my first course and she's, she'll be at the retreat. She's our Spartan goddess. She's <laughs> just so fit and just does so many things. And she's just absolutely amazing. And she has an amazing story too about what she had to overcome in her life with her health to be able to get to a place in her life where where she is now pretty fit and pretty healthy. But she was the one that held my hand on my first Spartan course when I, I was, it sounds so ridiculous, but like you come to an obstacle and I couldn't get over it by myself and I had to ask for help. It's the silliest thing, right? But as women, so often we're just like, I can't ask for help and we're carrying this ego and it's ridiculous. And it literally brought tears to my eyes. And as I was walking away from the obstacle that she, of course, helped lift my butt up and over, which was great. I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you so emotional? And I realized it was just like, I don't like having to ask for help, which is absolutely ridiculous. And when you leave that stuff out on the course and you just kind of like check that ego and let it all go and you ask for help and it's life-changing. I don't know how else to explain it other than it's so life-changing in that moment when you realize, wow, if I can let it go and ask for help here, I could probably ask for help over here and people aren't going to judge me and it's going to be okay. It breaks down every barrier. You know, a couple of years ago, I became a runner. You know, I I didn't cope with my grandmother's death so well. I had friends who were willing to go to happy hour, but they weren't willing to kind of figure out ways that we could cope in different ways. Um, So I didn't want to go to happy hour anymore. I didn't want to drown my sorrow in in cosmos and crap like that. So I said, okay, I'm going to be a runner. But nobody looked like me. Nobody, Mm -hmm. I, I said, 
is this for me? Am I supposed to do this? I'm like, I'm out here in cute sneakers. Like these aren't functional. My feet hurt. Um, am I supposed to wear shorts? Like it's cold. Am I running in a coat? I didn't know anything. And I just went out there and just tried to figure it out and use Google. And you know what? I didn't have to, if I would have just asked a question. I made myself feel like an outsider. I pushed myself away because I didn't see others that looked like me. I pushed myself. I put the barrier there because I told myself no one would be able to understand why, why I'm out here or why I'm trying to learn this new thing. I, you know how much heartache and pain I could have saved myself just by asking a question? Right. <laughs> I definitely could have <laughs> saved a corn or two <laughs> on my feet. <laughs> but now I, I know what shoes to buy. Um, I know the distance that's just right for me. Um, I got a new puppy to help me with my my running. Um, uh, my my old, my senior dog, She's she's been there. She's tried to improve, but uh, she's, she's retired now. But uh you know, that ability to ask for help, Jennifer, is major. It's major. And I think if I had done mm-hmm. a little more of that, I probably wouldn't have fell out of that raft <laughs> down <laughs> when we were in uh, Colorado. <laughs> but yeah, we got we could share stories for days. <laughs> I know. We so could. And I could just talk with you all day long because it's just so, so much fun. And I just love your energy and your attitude. And I love that, like this quote, scary stuff. You're just like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I've always been a little bit of an adrenaline junkie too. My husband has a motorcycle and I'm always like, will you go faster? He's yeah. like, no, he like rides like a grandma. And I'm just like, come on, you know, <laughs> twist the throttle. Let's go. We have four wheeler. I ride a horse, you know, just nice. all these things. I just, I just love. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're thinking, you know, I'm afraid to do some of these things, I just really want to encourage you not to be like pick something yes. like Tria wasn't a runner and she didn't know. And she asked a question and she got out there and she became a runner. And I just think that's so amazing that you just pushed through that initial discomfort to go after what you wanted to do. Yes. And, you know, uh, just real quick, my husband and I went skydiving. We're up in the plane, 11,000 feet up in the air, and there's a couple. And this couple is in their late 80s. I got scared. I did not want to jump. The lady, and it's a tandem jump, so the guy's on the the woman's back, and she's sitting off the edge of the plane, and they're getting ready to drop. She looks at me, and she says, you're going to chicken out? And then jumps. I said, I can't chicken out. This lady just... I can't disrespect her like that and not jump after she's jumped. She has the heart to do it. I daggone sure has the heart to do it. So just do it. Be like Nike. Just do it. (laughs) Oh, I love that so much. That's so great. So great. You know, and it happens to all of us. I think that's one of the final things. And I'll let you sum up with anything final that you want to leave with the audience, but I really, it does happen to all of us. Even this weekend in Atlanta, I'm going out with my sister who I've said is like, you know, our Spartan goddess. And on Sunday was her first age group. And so with Spartan, you have open, which is what we do, which is all the, you know, the normal people and you can help each other, but they have something called age group where there really are competing and you can't get help. You have to do everything yourself. You have to do all the obstacles. You have to at least try. So it's, it's definitely a, a, a notch up. And so Sunday was her first age group that she was going to go out. Wow. And we got up that morning. It was so cold in Atlanta. I'm like, we came down here for warmth and it was so cold. It's like 40 degrees. 
we'd been out on the course the day before. So we knew there was a lot of cold water like waiting on us. And even as we're walking up to the start line, she is doubting herself. She's just like, maybe I should not do age group. Maybe I should just do open with you. Maybe I should forget about this. And I said to her, you came here to do this. If you chicken out now, you're going to be regretting it all the rest of today. You're going to regret it the whole time you and I are out there, you know, on the course, just like, you know, you came here to do it. Even if you fail, even if you quit, whatever, you came here to do this. And sure enough, she did. Once she got out there, she did her course. She did really well. But it's just, I want you guys to know that it doesn't matter how strong your mindset is. You're going to have those doubts. Those things are going to come up. But with practice, you do learn to just be like, all right, I'm pushing through it. And every time you push through it and you overcome, you get that confidence and you push through again and you overcome. Even little old me at the start line was just like, oh my God, do I really want to do this? I'm like, yeah. And you know that every time you start a race and you're on the start line, you always second guess yourself. Yes. And But then you always take a step forward and you always finish. (laughs) So. I would love to let you close us out, Sharia, with just any final words you want to leave for our audience. Everyone needs a Jennifer. <laughs> we, oh. <laughs> we need someone pushing us, telling us we can do it, telling us that you came out here to do this. Get your butt out there and do it. Um, you know, everyone needs a Jennifer. Um, I believe just one final thought. You can learn something from everyone. I I live mm-hmm. my life this way. There's no one that I overlook from a homeless person on the street, because that was once me when I ran away as as a 12-year-old mm-hmm. from my grandmother's house, to your drug addict, like my mom. I always tell people, my mom can out-hustle your average person. She may not know corporate terminology. She may not be as well-versed and as well-educated, but my mother can leave the house with a dime in her pocket and she can come home with a week's worth of groceries, have her drug habit satisfied, come home with cigarettes and a bunch of other stuff. Um, now, I can't tell you how she did it, but <laughs> my mom is the greatest salesperson that I know. Um, and so I don't take for granted that everyone I come across in my life, I can learn something from. So I, I would recommend that you take advantage of everyone that crossed your path. You can learn something from everyone. Oh, I love that so much. And it's so important, especially these days, Um, all the different situations and things that happen in the world and all the different people that we come across. I think that is just amazing advice. So wonderful talk. Thank you so much for being here, Sharia. And I know that everybody who's listening definitely got far more than just one or two takeaways. There were so many great takeaways from our conversation today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jennifer, as always. And see you soon. Yes. Okay. All right. Bye guys. Thank you for joining us on our exploration today. We would love to hear where you are on your journey to becoming unbreakable. So send us an email at team at jenniferdawncoaching.com. Please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. We'd be so grateful if you take a moment to leave a review and share these powerful stories with women in your life. Sometimes all it takes is a physical challenge to help us realize what type of power and resilience we hold deep inside and how that strength can help us through just about anything in our lives. That's why Jennifer and I decided to hold our first ever Unbreakable Week, happening May 4th through the 9th in Kalispell, Montana. 
For details, visit the landing page at jenniferdawncoaching.com and we'll put the link, the exact link in the show notes. Now, this is a small group with only eight spots remaining. So sign up now. Isn't it time that you put yourself first? Come along with us and invest in this incredible adventure today and surround yourself with like-minded people who are on their own journey in business and in life. Together, we can help one another become unbreakable. Unbreakable.